Welcome to LifeSide Beat. I'm your host, Shubham Chatterjee. In this episode, I'm thrilled to have had the opportunity to speak with Molly Gibson, a principal in flagship pioneering and the co-founder and chief innovation officer of Generate Biomedicines. Generate Bio is a biotech that uses machine learning to accelerate the discovery of protein therapeutics. Just last month, they raised a 370 million Series B. Prior to Generate, Molly co-founded Tessera Therapeutics and led the computational biology team at Kaleido Biosciences. Molly's work has resulted in multiple pending patents and publications in both science and nature. And in 2020, she was featured in Endpoint News' 20 under 40 list in Biopharma. Molly received a BS in computer science from Truman State University and a PhD in computational and systems biology from Washington University in St. Louis. We had a terrific conversation. So please join me and Molly on LifeSide Beat. Molly, welcome to LifeSide Beat. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So we're all coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday, and I know it was particularly exciting times for you because of the Series B announcement that just came in before. And it's just you know so exciting to see biotechs like Generate Biomedicines coming in at this intersection of computation and machine learning and therapeutics and so forth. But growing up, I imagine this may not have necessarily been your North Star. So what was the dream growing up and how did your journey lead you to where you are today? Yeah, when I think back on, on my journey, it's been an incredibly windy path. I didn't grow up with a specific, I wanna be a doctor or I wanna be, you know, this, this was my career path. I always just was really fascinated by learning how things work, by exploring, you know, the world around me, by understanding quantitatively why things happen. And so that's what led me to be really exploratory, you know, even out of the gates. When I went to college, I went to a liberal arts school for this very reason, that I wanted to be able to explore lots of different opportunities. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to, went to college. I often joke that I had many different majors before finally my junior year, I took a intro to computer science course. And it was the first time I really felt really immersed in something that couldn't stop thinking about how to teach computers to do things that, you know, we as humans do every day, and then ultimately be able to do them better. Um, and so dove into that and really loved computer science love the quantitative aspect of it, love the engineering principles by which computers work. Following that, I, I spent some time actually as a software engineer building flight simulators at, at Boeing and was able to get into something completely different, um, learning how to basically create a simulation of what it's like to fly an F-15. But ultimately, what I, what I realized in all of that exploration is that what I really wanted to do was take what I had learned and understanding of the world around me and, and have impact on people's lives. That led me to biology. I honestly hadn't taken a biology course in college, but then I went back into my PhD in computational and systems biology at WashU in St. Louis, where I was able to take what I knew about math and computer science and apply it to biology. And so understand quantitatively how biology works. It was something at the time, you know, computational biology was, was really just starting to kind of take off and learning how computers 
could interpret biological problems in new ways. And the problem that I was really fascinated by was this idea that, you know, in our bodies, it's not just like the collection of human cells that, that exist, but there's all of these microorganisms that live in, on and around us um, and inside our, our guts that are having profound impacts on, on health. But to be able to measure and quantitate that was incredibly challenging at the time. Um, and so I worked to develop methods to help us understand how the bacteria in our gut influenced human health and how that changed in response to things like what we eat every day, the antibiotics or drugs that we take. And almost think about this, the microbiome is what we call it, the collection of, of microbial organisms as you know, an additional organ, a new organ system in our body. The application of, of computer science computational biology to that problem was really fascinating to me. What ended up ultimately ended up leading me to, to flagship and to venture creation was how to then taking it back to the impact, how does that research then start to make impact in the world? And it was through the creation of companies that can ultimately commercialize therapeutics that got really excited. And so it's a different story. It's a winding one and not one that necessarily had a, a single North Star, but it was always following the impact in the most interesting thing you know, that led to the realization that the career that I ultimately wanted, I probably could have never described, you know, when I was a child. Yeah, that's an amazing journey. Thanks for sharing. And it's interesting. You mentioned how you keep hunting for that next piece based off of just your curiosity. And I know at Flagship, you actually founded not one, but two biotechs, uh, Tesla Therapeutics, and then Generate Biomedicines in fairly quick succession. And so I'm curious, what were some of your learnings in founding those companies? I know we have some listeners, for example, who come across a really interesting piece of technology in the lab. And so in your experience, how early on did you start thinking about that commercialization potential? It's interesting. Like when I look at a new technology, I often think about it more in the, the breadth of impact that it could have. And that ultimately comes in the form of commercialization typically, but I'm usually thinking of, of something more like a value proposition. If we're able to take this biology and make it basically biotechnology, so make it something that we can engineer and understand and use in really specific ways, then what's the value to the world? What will we have changed? That is usually your most direct route to monetary you know, impact is the idea that you can crisply articulate the value that it will bring to people's lives. And oftentimes that value is completely transforming how you think about a problem. This is an analogy that we've used in, in, in my team at Flagship. Some people laugh at it, but basically it's this idea that you find your ghost glasses. So this imagination that in the world, there exists all these ghosts around us that are new insights or new ways of viewing the world, that when you put on these glasses, you start to see it differently. You start to see all of these things that you know existed and all of the ways that the world could work, um, but you just didn't have that insight. And it's those glasses, those insights that give you the, the transformation and how you think and the way to, to create value. And so I'd say almost from the very beginning, that is essential. If you don't see the path to that, you know, the value that you're creating in the world, it becomes, you know, much harder to kind of, to, to go down those paths. Definitely. That's a really good point. 
And on the topic of flagship, both of your founder experiences resided in that flagship ecosystem. Yep. So as some of our listeners may not know, flagship pioneering has a pretty unique VC model. So could you describe this flagship model at a high level and why you think it's particularly interesting, you know, both from an R&D side of things, but also in terms of bringing tech to market? Yeah, so flagship has this venture creation model, which allows for just broad exploration of biology and the application of that biology to basically the creation of platforms, what we call bio platforms. So these platforms that have the potential not to only create one valuable product, but many valuable products by de-risking across multiple, basically um, correlated you know, types, of, types of products that you could create. That model, though, is, is all dependent on the idea that we have, you know, a team of internal scientists that are com- continually exploring and refining and building upon insights from, you know, each other and previous explorations and previous companies that have failed, but also keep previous companies that have succeeded and all of that kind of institutional knowledge and the, the integration of the capital and then the exploration and then also the the operations, so the actual building of the companies, you know, is all put into one organization that's able to, to create these companies. And I think what it allows us to do is take those first stages of biotech that typically requires a different way of thinking than, you know, the growth stage company is a different risk profile, a different understanding of how to create value, um, a different just perspective on how you change the world. And you basically get to institutionalize that and demonstrate that you can kind of do it over and over again with some type of learnable and teachable process. And so that's what I love about it is I'm surrounded by people every day who are driven by the same creation mindset, the ability to create something from nothing, and the innovation and building mindset. Gotcha. As you said, that's a really interesting model for value creation. And what is it? mean in terms of having that in-house backer? You mentioned it helps de-risk some of the biology, but I'm curious in terms of the benefits beyond just having that financial capital for you to really focus on the science. How else does it help you in terms of the commercialization timeline and process? Yeah, I mean, the the flagship ecosystem is, is hugely valuable to early companies from the perspective that the it's a huge expert network for companies that are newer, they have access to talking with people who have regulatory experience or people who have clinical development experience and be able to tap into those expert networks across the entire ecosystem, across companies very, very quickly. It's also allowed us to to centralize some operations that early stage biotechs just don't have ability to do. So things like IP, HR, finance, all gets centralized so that you have a have an organization that can support the growth, the GNA aspects, and so each of our companies can focus on focus on the most important value creating thing that they can do, which is the science. Up until about six months ago, we had maybe one, maybe two GNA <laughs> functions, our CEO and and maybe one other person. The rest of the company was all scientists, and so that adds you know an immense amount of value. That's a great point. I can see why companies would want to grow under the flagship ecosystem. At flagship, as you mentioned, they're focused on these complementary technologies across the network. 
And one area that they're investing in, and obviously you're investing in, is this computationally driven therapeutics, as I call it. And it's a really hot area right now in, in just the biotech landscape. So could you describe what makes this intersection of machine learning, computation, and biotechnology so exciting for you? When you think about well, how we discover drugs, which is drug discovery, it, it's through this process of trial and error and exploration that allows us to basically be searching through all of the things that existed or you know, close relatives of that, you know, especially in biology, in order to find something that you know, maybe nature evolved to be a therapeutic. Uh, what, that, what that lacks is any amount of control, any amount of predictability in that process. And so it allows immense amounts of inefficiencies. It, it results in the success rates and costs of drug development to just continually be going up rather than you know, increasing efficiencies as we get better. And the, the R&D productivity is a huge challenge in the industry right now. But other industries don't face those same challenges because there's engineering principles that they can apply and add some reproducibility and predictability to the process. And so what I love about you know, the application of AI and machine learning to biology is that biology is just ultimately too complex for the human brain to fully understand. And so instead of reducing biology down to the problems that are you know, we can as individuals understand, you can actually use an entirely new language, the language of AI, and apply that to biology and start to you know, understand engineering principles and truly engineer new biological systems in a reproducible and engineerable way that, that we believe is going to you know, completely change the game on you know, productivity of, of creating new therapeutics. And so it's, it's really paradigm shifting when you really kind of get, get down to it from away from this, this empirical discovery process to one where we have much more control over the outcome that we want. That's amazing. Sounds like this space is really disrupting the way we think about drug discovery and think about R&D. And what are the trends that you see in biology that make this the right time for disruption? Because right, this concept has been there for a while, but really only recently have we seen an uptick in companies like Generate applying those machine learning principles to biology. So I'm curious, like, why now? Yeah, I think it has to do with you know, the coming of age of many technologies simultaneously. I think in order to really make use of our, our learning and generation process, especially at Generate, you have to be able to read and write DNA really, really efficiently. And seeing kind of the steady decline in cost of DNA sequencing over time. But it's only just recently that we've started to see really transformations in how we can then build up DNA molecules to then program protein therapeutics in our case. And so it's those two things, that synthetic biology capability that allows us to apply machine learning to biology and engineering biology in new ways, combined with the rise of machine learning algorithms and compute power and you know all of that together, that's all coming together kind of at this right confluence of time that's going to allow us to, to kind of think about all of this, all of this differently. Um, and it takes a totally different mindset. This is one of the things that we think about a lot at Generate is the culture of foundational ML biotech. You know, how you think about data as a collective asset, how you think about you know, learning from data, how you think about the, the process of 
having computers actually generate therapeutic leads. All of that's a completely paradigm shifting philosophy in the pharmaceutical field. And so it's one where you have to have a team of, of scientists who are really motivated and driven by that vision. Yeah, it's, it's definitely really exciting times. Uh, as you mentioned, right, we're at the time where we can engineer biology. It's almost like we first understood the words of this new language, and then we're able to start understanding the grammar. And now we can finally construct sentences. So uh, I know right. it's exciting times for sure. And yeah. now that you've set the stage, so to speak, I'd love to hear more about what Generate does and what makes it so unique. Yeah, Generate is, is focused on pioneering what we call generative biology. The idea of being able to not only understand or predict biology that exists, but generate entirely novel biological systems. And so, you know, you could think about this in, in a similar way to engineering, you know, any other type of system like a car engine, where you, you're not just starting from car engine one, you know, making some tweaks and getting to car engine two, you're actually starting with blueprints, designing the engine saying, this is what I wanted to do. This is how it operates. These are how the pieces fit together and creating something entirely new from scratch. That's what we want to do with biology is, is we understand how biological parts fit together. We understand how DNA codes for protein function so that we can generate entirely new DNA sequences that, that code for, for proteins that function the way that we want. That approach, we are basically using machine learning to learn the fundamental principles of proteins from all existing protein structures, all existing protein sequences, and using generative machine learning algorithms to then generate novel systems that are optimized for our purpose. And so, you know, we have this incredible advantage that we can learn from all of nature but generate things that nature's never seen before. Wow, actually building on nature, that's amazing. With this capability that, that you mentioned, right, that build, test, learn cycle, building the protein, testing to see its properties, and then improving the algorithms, what does that mean in terms of your pipeline's commercialization potential? Yeah, one of the things we think a lot about is how this capability will change the speed and specificity by which you can create drugs. And so, you know, if, for example, one of our initial areas of focus is antibody therapeutics. So both the optimization and de novo design of antibodies. And one of the things that's great about this is that instead of going through a traditional antibody discovery, either in a mouse, we can actually just basically say, I have, a, this is my target structure. This is where I want an antibody to bind and computationally generate an antibody that does that. Um, and so we skip the entire process of immunizing a mouse. We're able to create you know, hundreds of diverse candidates instantaneously, essentially, on the computer that we then go and build and test in the lab. It completely changes the time scale and the initial generation of, of candidate antibodies. You can actually computationally optimize those for other properties as well, like manufacturability, solubility, all of these different properties that are important, not only just to get hit the target for potency, but also to make it a valuable drug. So you eliminate downstream optimization steps that typically happen in, in drug discovery. And so it just completely changes the timelines by which you discover drugs, as well as the efficacy and potency of the therapeutic that, that you have. It's a, it's a real game changer and, and we're excited to, to see where it goes. 
Yeah, no, it's incredibly exciting. And it, if I play that back, it seems to me that Generate's model is faster, as you mentioned, because of, for example, skipping the mouse model, it's better because you can optimize those properties. And you could even argue that maybe it's cheaper because you are designing those smarter candidates or at least generating those smarter candidates. But what's interesting is then it could create a fairly unique challenge, right? With many biotechs, the key to maximizing success is sometimes a single shot on goal, right? The one compound they have in the clinic, but in Generate's case, it seems like there's a huge spectrum of what it could commercialize. So what are some of the opportunities with this model and what are some of the challenges? I mean, how do you figure out where to go first? Yeah, you've highlighted one of the largest strategic challenges that we have is the optionality for the platform is incredibly broad. The number of of options that we have in choosing where to go first and how to prioritize and and how broad versus deep to go is, is incredibly important. And I think the other thing that is important to notice is that we know that the, the platform is going to produce more products that we can commercialize. And so partnerships and working with others in the development of drugs is going to be a big part of how we, we operate um, and a big part of our strategy. So being able to choose not only the modalities, but the targets that we go after um, in both existing and novel biology is is some of our biggest questions. So I think you hit, hit the nail on the head. Like It's an incredibly exciting time given the optionality that we have. It's also an exciting and favorable challenge to have to be able to have that those choices and where we go first. Yeah, you're right. With that optionality comes some really tough strategic decisions. What's interesting is the challenge you're facing is probably something that maybe not that many companies at the moment because generates leading the pack, but more and more companies that try to have this machine learning engine could face. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested, what happens with the rise of platform companies like Generate, where you have this computational engine powering drug discovery? When these companies come to the market, how do you expect this flavor of biotech to disrupt the market versus more established players like Big Pharma? When we're thinking about how biotech as a whole and how pharma as a whole is going to change and where kind of the central axis of value creation is going to happen. Right now it's centralized in you know late stage pharmaceutical development where the majority of value creation in therapeutics is created. If you change the paradigm, if you change how many shots on goal you get and how often, you might see that enti- that value creation step change and become much earlier. You know, it's it's still a hypothesis and things that we're actively thinking through right now. But you could see a, a completely different biotech and pharmaceutical landscape. You know, you know, over the next number of years, when we see more and more companies, especially early stage biotechs, I think that's where the most of the, the AI innovation is going to truly happen. When we start to see that start to, to take off even more, um, we're going to see a, an interesting shift in landscape. I agree. It will be super interesting to observe. And with this shift in landscape, what does the timeline look like? Because I understand, as you mentioned, biology is so complex, the human mind can't wrap around it. But you also need some fairly sophisticated machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to map out sort of those network effects and different interactions. Right now, I know many companies are first going after some targets that have sufficient evidence before expanding beyond. But 
in terms of truly disrupting the market and, and going after extremely novel candidates or generating them, is this timeline and sort of in the next five years? Are we talking more 10 to 15 years? Where do you sort of see this really developing fruition? You know, I think we're going to start to see the effects of AI and drug development in the next you know, two to three years really start to come to the forefront. But I think we're going to see uh, multiple you know, evolutions of what that truly means after that for many years to come. Five, 10 years is probably you know, even too short to, to see the full impact of what AI is going to have on drug development. I think from, from my perspective, the challenge of treating, curing, preventing disease is so massive that anytime we start to really get a foothold in one area, we're just going to see the next mountain to climb right in front of us. And so my hope is, is that we're starting to develop technology that doesn't start from scratch every time we want to climb a new mountain, where we've learned not only just from know-how, but our algorithms are better so that when we're climbing the next mountain, we're starting, you know, halfway up the mountain before, you know, we even set out. And so it's that vision of how AI is learning biology that I think is really going to change the game. And, and we're going to you know, see over time how true that is. The, the data is not there today to say that that's, that's necessarily going to be the case. But I think if we look at every other field where AI has, has revolutionized the industry, that's the paradigm that you start to see. And I have no reason to believe that biology is not only going to follow that, but probably, you know, be impacted more by those types of learning and network effects. Yeah, it's super exciting to think about. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, your journey and your insights. It's amazing to hear about stories like Generate that, you know, in my personal opinion, are going just going to change the world. Uh, before we go, though, LifeSite Beat also hopes to inspire the next generation of business leaders in the life sciences. And so what advice would you leave our listeners with for those of us who are young, business-minded professionals looking to build a career in biotech? Biggest piece of advice is to believe in yourself. You know, as you start to, to go out there and tackle challenging problems, you often look around and believe that there's other people who know more or can do more than you. But in reality, you're the best person to be driving the innovations that you've created and have the confidence to put your ideas out there and be very comfortable being wrong. Because if you put your ideas out there and then you're wrong, then you're doing something right. Having that belief and that confidence to, to give it a shot is the only way that, that you're going to really see the type of success that, that, that you're capable of. Well, Wise words indeed. And on your point about believing in yourself, I'm sure we all need that extra bit of courage and really going after the passions we believe in most. This has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much, Molly, for taking the time to share your journey and perspectives with us on LifeSide Beat.